how we overcome the darkness together. Six years later. The pain has not changed. It hurts every single day. The reversal of this law would put students all around Florida in more danger. Florida's safety moves now challenged. We should join the rest of the majority of the rest of the states to bring the ability to purchase a long gun back to 18 years old. The fact that we are willing to roll back what was common sense gun laws when the massacre had happened is laughable and shameful. And this alone is a step in the wrong direction. A leading voice from Parkland to Tallahassee with us live. <laughs> state of emergency. We welcome everyone to come to our city. We're also a law and order city. Preemptive strike to stop spring break. A number of measures from traffic checkpoints, license plate readers, DUI checks. Stopping the party, but at what price? Not re-traumatizing individuals that are coming here to enjoy themselves. The politics of permission slips. I'm concerned. I'm concerned as a citizen. Black history, the Holocaust. We've caused chaos and we've caused confusion with parents. School's confusion over state law. That was wrongly done at that school. Superintendent has been advised. Miami-Dade school board members here to take it head on. The big news of the week and the newsmakers all live this week in South Florida. Good morning and welcome. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin with changes ignited that day six years ago this week at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High that are very much in play right now. Six years ago in Tallahassee, in the face of grief-stricken and outraged families and students, a conservative Florida legislature and governor passed unprecedented state gun safety laws while protecting Floridians' gun rights and protections. Right now in Tallahassee, some lawmakers are suggesting some of that should be rolled back. And at the same time, lawmakers are supporting bills that do add layers of more school security. Six years ago this week, the mayor of Parkland was in the midst of those families' catastrophe. Since 2020, Christine Hunchofsky is a state representative and a leading voice on school safety and on mental health. And as you can see, Christine Hunchofsky, Democrat from Parkland, right here with us live from Tallahassee. State Rep, so good to have you on the program. Thank you so much, Glenna, for having me. And I really appreciate you highlighting the work that's, you know, been done since 2018 and the work that we're doing going forward to keep our schools and our communities as safe as they can be. 100%. And in the last, well, let's start there because in the last six years, there's changeover in Tallahassee. New people come in. This state is filled with urban and rural areas and especially gun safety laws are always in play and in contention. And I want to sort of frame, at least for the beginning of our discussion, some of the gun laws going through. And right now, one that's getting so much attention is one that attempts to roll back the age at which someone can buy a long gun. Right now, it's 21, which is in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act. And a bill is, is moving to roll it back to 18, which is where it was before. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the great things that the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act did is that it addressed like all three areas that, um, that will help keep our community safe and our schools safe, mental health, school hardening, and also responsible firearm ownership. And those three things have paid off in the years since. And the idea now that six years later, we're gonna go back and roll back one of these three things 
doesn't make any sense to me. There is no data that to support that it will do anything to make our community safer. And in fact, long guns are the gun of choice by school shooters. And if you see what's also happened is we have these expanded background checks for people who are aged 18 to 21, because that's still an area of concern regarding school shootings. And they've worked, I think by and large, this was a bipartisan effort across the board in Tallahassee. And and those, those rules and all the components have really, I think um, everyone would agree, have really gone a long way to make this state safer. Um, so right now, Go ahead. Agreed. I mean, I, I call it the gold standard because it addressed all three aspects of school safety. So the mental health, the, the school hardening and uh, the responsible firearm ownership. Side yes. Yes. And so I, I want to go into this particular bill right now because it is getting so much attention. Federal law actually places um, the age limit for long guns at 18. That That is the federal law. So this would be I guess rolling back Florida to meet the federal standard and the sponsor, as I understand it, had advocated this for his rural area where long guns are a part of the daily culture. So what practical effect do you think rolling back this one component might have? I think it'll have a negative effect. And the reason I believe that is because that is kind of what the data has shown throughout the country. Uh, that long guns are the gun of choice um, among school shooters, and that that 18 to age to 21 years of age is still a very um, age that we should be looking at and be careful about. I, I just don't understand why we're going to be rolling something back that has been proven to work. And there is no data that has been brought by the sponsor or anybody else in support of that bill that would show that that is in any way making our schools or our community safer. And at a time when we have so much anxiety and we hear about shootings in other states, it's so important that we do everything we can to keep our schools safe. There are other gun-related bills going through right now, and at least one of them, and maybe more, are yours. Um, I wanna talk about HB 291, which you're sponsoring, that would it's about putting in background checks, uh, generally sales through licensed dealers only, safe storage, all kinds of things that sound very common sense and, and frankly bipartisan, what everyone can get behind. And yet it appears, at least in the computer records, that it's been stalled uh, since its first reading a month ago and change. W what, is, what is happening with that? Yeah, so the bill is going nowhere, uh, just as it did last year. I, I named it the Responsible Gun Ownership Act because it's very simple stuff, universal background check. So you should have a background check before you are able to purchase a firearm. Education also at the time of purchase about safe storage, uh, selling a gun lock or something else to keep the gun secure at the time of purchase and making sure that um, we're regulating ghost guns. So somebody can't just go online, uh, buy parts of a gun and put it together, have a firearm with no background check and no serial number. Pretty common sense stuff. It never made it to its first committee. All those early subcommittees are no longer meeting. So it is essentially DOA um, this session. What are the conversations behind the scenes about that? I know you have to, you talk to your colleagues, right? And, and explain do. what, what is do. that conversation? Take us back. What is the conversation about that? Yeah, most of, most people agree with 
everything that's in that legislation. It's just about whether, um, so anything dealing with firearm safety for some reason in our country and in our state is kind of like a, a third rail, something no one wants to really touch, people don't wanna get involved in. And even though they might agree personally, no one is willing to really take a step and put it forward because of all the controversy that's always surrounding it. But I have to remind people that when the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act was passed, it was absolutely, like you mentioned, a very bipartisan piece of legislation that really changed so much and made our schools and communities safer in the state of Florida. And everyone um, at that time who was up for reelection got reelected. So in spite of the storm and the the loud noise around it, this is stuff that the people of Florida want. And if you go look at polls, uh, people support universal background checks. People support safe storage. Uh, people support uh, responsible firearm ownership. And it's. I think it would be great if the legislature would make a move in that direction as well. So much of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act deals with mental health. You have done a lot of work in that regard. We are up against a break, so let's take a quick two minutes and we'll be right back and talk all about that part of the bill. This is how we overcome the darkness together. Six years later. The pain has not changed. It hurts every single day. The reversal of this law would put students all around Florida in more danger. Florida's safety moves now challenged. We should join the rest of the majority of the rest of the states to bring the ability to purchase a long gun back to 18 years old. The fact that we are willing to roll back what was common sense gun laws when the massacre had happened is laughable and shameful. And this alone is a step in the wrong direction. A leading voice from Parkland to Tallahassee with us live. <laughs> state of emergency. We welcome everyone to come to our city. We're also a law and order city. Preemptive strike to stop spring break. A number of measures from traffic checkpoints, license plate readers, DUI checks. Stopping the party, but at what price? Not re-traumatizing individuals that are coming here to enjoy themselves. The politics of permission slips. I'm concerned. I'm concerned as a citizen. Black history, the Holocaust. We've caused chaos and we've caused confusion with parents. School's confusion over state law. That was wrongly done at that school. Superintendent has been advised. Miami-Dade school board members here to take it head on. The big news of the week and the newsmakers all live this week in South Florida. Good morning and welcome. I'm Glenna Milberg. We begin with changes ignited that day six years ago this week at Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High that are very much in play right now. Six years ago in Tallahassee, in the face of grief-stricken and outraged families and students, a conservative Florida legislature and governor passed unprecedented state gun safety laws while protecting Floridians' gun rights and protections. Right now in Tallahassee, some lawmakers are suggesting some of that should be rolled back. And at the same time, lawmakers are supporting bills that do add layers of more school security. Six years ago this week, the mayor of Parkland was in the midst of those families catastrophe. Since 2020, Christine Hunchofsky is a state representative and a leading voice on school safety and on mental health. And as you can see, Christine Hunchofsky, Democrat from Parkland, right here with us live from Tallahassee. State Rep, so good to have you on the program. 
Thank you so much, Glenna, for having me. And I really appreciate you highlighting the work that's, you know, been done since 2018 and the work that we're doing going forward to keep our schools and our communities as safe as they can be. 100%. And in the last, well, let's start there because in the last six years, there's changeover in Tallahassee. New people come in. This state is filled with urban and rural areas and especially gun safety laws are always in play and in contention. And I want to sort of frame, at least for the beginning of our discussion, some of the gun laws going through. And right now, one that's getting so much attention is one that attempts to roll back the age at which someone can buy a long gun. Right now it's 21, which is in the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act. And a bill is, is moving to roll it back to 18, which is where it was before. Your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, one of the great things that the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act did is that it addressed like all three areas that, um, that will help keep our community safe and our schools safe, mental health, school hardening, and also responsible firearm ownership. And those three things have paid off in the years since. And the idea now that six years later, we're gonna go back and roll back one of these three things doesn't make any sense to me. There is no data that to support that it will do anything to make our community safer. And in fact, long guns are the gun of choice by school shooters. And if you see what's also happened is we have these expanded background checks for people who are aged 18 to 21, because that's still an area of concern regarding school shootings. And they've worked, I think by and large, this was a bipartisan effort across the board in Tallahassee. And and those, those rules and all the components have really, I think um, everyone would agree, have really gone a long way to make this state safer. Um, so right now, Go ahead. Agreed. I mean, I, I call it the gold standard because it addressed all three aspects of school safety. So the mental health, the, the school hardening and uh, the responsible firearm ownership. Side yes. Yes. And so I, I want to go into this particular bill right now because it is getting so much attention. Federal law actually places um, the age limit for long guns at 18. That That is the federal law. So this would be I guess rolling back Florida to meet the federal standard and the sponsor, as I understand it, had advocated this for his rural area where long guns are a part of the daily culture. So what practical effect do you think rolling back this one component might have? I think it'll have a negative effect. And the reason I believe that is because that is kind of what the data has shown throughout the country. Uh, that long guns are the gun of choice um, among school shooters and that that 18 to age to 21 years of age is still a very um, age that we should be looking at and be careful about. I, I just don't understand why we're going to be rolling something back that has been proven to work. And there is no data that has been brought by the sponsor or anybody else in support of that bill that would show that that is in any way making our schools or our communities safer. And at a time when we have so much anxiety and we hear about shootings in other states, it's so important that we do everything we can to keep our schools safe. There are other gun-related bills going through right now, and at least one of them, and maybe more, are yours. Um, I wanna talk about HB 291, which you're sponsoring, that would, it's about putting in background checks, uh, generally sales through licensed dealers only, 
safe storage, all kinds of things that sound very common sense and, and frankly bipartisan, what everyone can get behind. And yet it appears, at least in the computer records, that it's been stalled uh, since its first reading a month ago and change. W what, is, what is happening with that? Yeah, so the bill is going nowhere, uh, just as it did last year. I, I named it the Responsible Gun Ownership Act because it's very simple stuff, universal background check. So you should have a background check before you are able to purchase a firearm. Education also at the time of purchase about safe storage, uh, selling a gun lock or something else to keep the gun secure at the time of purchase and making sure that um, we're regulating ghost guns. So somebody can't just go online, uh, buy parts of a gun and put it together, have a firearm with no background check and no serial number. Pretty common sense stuff. It never made it to its first committee. All those early subcommittees are no longer meeting. So it is essentially DOA um, this session. What are the conversations behind the scenes about that? I know you have to, you talk to your colleagues, right? And, and explain I do. And what, what I is do. that conversation? Take us back. What is the conversation about that? Yeah, most of, most people agree with everything that's in that legislation. It's just about whether, um, so anything dealing with firearm safety for some reason in our country and in our state is kind of like a, a third rail, something no one wants to really touch. People don't want to get involved in. And even though they might agree personally, no one is willing to really take a step and put it forward because of all the controversy that's always surrounding it. But I have to remind people that when the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act was passed, it was absolutely, like you mentioned, a very bipartisan piece of legislation that really changed so much and made our schools and communities safer in the state of Florida. And everyone um, at that time who was up for re-election got re-elected. So in spite of the storm and the, the loud noise around it, this is stuff that the people of Florida want. And if you go look at polls, uh, people support universal background checks. People support safe storage. Uh, people support uh, responsible firearm ownership. And it's, I think it would be great if the legislature would make a move in that direction as well. So much of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act deals with mental health. You have done a lot of work in that regard. We are up against a break, so let's take a quick two minutes and we'll be right back and talk all about that part of the bill. Our chance to decide the future of the nation is near. Every vote is needed. Because every vote is a voice. But your voice won't be heard. If you don't vote, we all have the right to be heard. Register and make sure your voice is heard. Join me, Hunter Frankie, on the next SoFlo Health for food, food, and more healthy food. Plus, therapies that can help you lose weight and feel better. SoFlo Health, this afternoon at 1230 on the one and only Local 10. Amscot presents Budgeting Outside the Box. Unexpected expenses don't exactly come with an installment plan. What if they could? Amscot's installment cash advance from $100 to $1,000 could mean more money and more time to pay it back. Get started at amscot.com. Welcome back to Sunday with a chance of winning. Final question. Which one of these benefits can you receive every year if you enroll with HealthSun? Is it $5,000 for comprehensive dental services? $2,400 for groceries, home and pet care supplies and utilities? $1,500 for OTC items or all of the above? Cindy? See all of them! 
Call us today to learn more about our benefits. This is Monster Jam, as big as it gets. Coming to Lone Depot Park February 24th and 25th. Brought to you by BKT Tires, Great Clips, and Morgan & Morgan. For all your roofing needs, I'm Paul. Give me a call. For residential roofing, commercial roofing, roof repairs, I'm Paul. Give me a call for your free estimate today. For any emergency roof issues, we're open 24 hours a day. I'm Paul. Give me a call. 954-981-ROOF. PaulBainsRoofing.com. Good morning with Vocalax. Good, good, good morning. Try Dulcolax Chewy Fruit Bites for fast and gentle constipation relief in as little as 30 minutes. Making your good morning even better with Dulcolax. Wendy's Breakfast 2 for 3 is so good, the crew is giving every combination code names. Bis-squared. Egg and cheese biscuit and sausage biscuit. Two biscuits. I'm impressed Tyler knew what squaring was. Math -lute. No matter what you call it, choose wisely. Choose Wendy's Breakfast 2 for 3. And Scott presents Options Make the Cut. Tapers, fades, I do it all, but I never cut my budget too close. We get it. M. Scott's installment cash advance from 100 to 1,000 could mean more money and more time to pay it back. And no credit check. We are back with State Representative Christine Hunchofsky, a Democrat from Parkland and former Parkland mayor on this anniversary week of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas massacre. Uh, talking about gun bills currently going through mental health. Before we get to the mental, mental health component, um, State Rep Hunchofsky, I wanted to ask you about one more bill that you're sponsoring that would that deals with actually planning a mass shooting. Um, explain how what's in that bill and how that would be different or additive to a law that governs mass shootings and, and the illegalities of it. Yeah, I would just add that anybody who's planning something like that would also um, be subject to uh, criminal prosecution so that we're not just talking about somebody who's carrying it out or attempted, but also in the planning section. And how, how, would you, how would you know that? And how would you differentiate a real, authentic plan for mass murder with, with maybe mental health issues that a 16 or 17-year-old might have? Yeah, so a lot of the mass shooters um, had ahead of time a lot of documentation that they were doing to show that they had a real plan uh, to go through with it. And that would be something that we would be looking at for uh, that legislation. And to your point earlier, uh, earlier in the last segment, just the conversations between all of your colleagues, Democrat and Republican in Tallahassee right now, grappling with, especially on this anniversary, when so many of them have actually visited the 1200 building um, as we go through and, and see whether these bills move or not. Um, the mental health component of the Marjorie Stoneman Douglas Public Safety Act, there have been, I, I wanna say tens of millions of dollars put toward mental health. Um, where, how, what are the practical effects of that that you've seen? Yeah, I, I appreciate you bringing that. We actually also have an additional bill this session adding on to it, uh, coordinated care for children to make sure that they're getting coordinated care in the schools and in the community, and then also making sure that there's follow-up with um, checking out what the measurable outcomes are and how the funding from the state is being used in um, addressing mental health in schools. You know, um, it's getting harder and harder for kids these days when you see the um, anxiety disorder, depressive disorder, bipolar disorder, and our children today are really suffering. It is so important that we have funding and access to quality 
mental health care to help kids. Uh, suicide has been on the rise. And just in our own community, I don't, I don't think people really understand in the aftermath of a mass shooting, how it changes a community forever. And it changes the people who were there forever. And that is an ongoing thing that so many people in our community deal with. Of course, the families who lost loved ones, those who were injured, but also just um, the associated with trauma for everybody who was there that day. And, and I guess worth so it, yes, and I guess worth it to say or bring up how many, and I don't have the number right here, but how many school mass shootings have occurred since that day, six years ago, nationwide. Um, you, you talk so much about mental health, and, and I think that is the ongoing reason why HB1, that social media bill, uh, has been flying through the House and Senate. And you know, the, uh, there was a committee substitute that amended it with the Senate bill. Um, you voted for that. That is a priority of House Speaker Paul Renner that, that essentially stops any, anybody 16 or younger from having a social media platform. How do you see that playing out practically? It does look like it will become law in Florida. Yeah, there's still some debate on it, and I understand people's concerns. Um, parents can still have an account, so for, for somebody who's doing something where they're their job depends on it, so they can still have an account for their child. I think the concern comes in with social media of how accessible our children are to people out there that we don't know. They're also very accessible. You know, when we were growing up, you go to school and you might have a bad day of school, but you go home and you kind of are able to get separated from that. With social media today, that's harder and harder. You also have kids that get kind of sucked into groups that they shouldn't get into through social media. And I think for many of us, this was a statement also of saying that we need to be doing better. These algorithms have changed social media from the beginning. In the beginning, social media you go on, but now with the algorithms, the content, um, what you're able to see online is very thought out ahead of time and something that you're not aware of. And there's just so many concerns. We hear from parents all the time, the concerns with social media, they're struggling to keep their own kids off of social media. So I think it's this bill is in many ways also a way to have that discussion saying we need to do something now with social media and our children. So how do you think, uh, how do you think though, pr practically speaking, a state law with, to your point, what, what parents struggle with right now, how does a state law change that? Well, there will have to be a, an age verification for someone to have an account. And so that is already the first step in making sure um, that the children are safer online with the social media. So that's how it would work with the age verification. And they'd be required to do that in the state of Florida. So you don't think like a, like a teenager right now who wants to take mom's phone and get on a social media account that belongs to a parent could, you know, I guess parental responsibility is always key everywhere. And there are some critics who say this kind of takes that component away. Yeah. And I understand the critics very much. So I'm very fortunate. Um, our boys are grown up now and um, social media was never much of an issue for them. I do know other um, children where it has been an issue. 
And in the end, like you said, a, a child could go around and grab the parent's phone and get on through their account. Um, I would argue the algorithms there would be a little different than they might have been for the child. And in the end, uh, parental responsibility is always uh, one of the number one factors when coming to keeping our kids safe. Amen to that. Christine Hanchowski, it is always good to have you on the program. Thank you so much. And please do keep in touch with all of those things that are so important to you as they work their way through Tallahassee. Thank you so much, Glenna. All right. We are weeks away from the weekends that mark spring break and a city trying to staunch the chaos and crime that is an annual plague. Questions about all of that for Miami Beach's mayor, who is with us next. Curfews, closures, a crackdown before this year's spring break even gets underway. Miami Beach is doubling down on a preemptive law and order approach to prevent the annual chaos and crime that has come with spring break, but not without some blowback. Mayor Stephen Miner is here today to get into a new plan for that recurring issue. Good morning, Mayor. Good morning, Glenna. Good to have you. So um, the the commission is fully behind all kinds of things that we will talk about as a preemptive strike against uh, spring break chaos. I'm wondering, as someone who has seen the law enforcement and the license plate readers on the causeways and the curfews, what exactly is different this year? Well, we're taking a lot of measures that are proactive. Uh, sometimes we've taken measures after we've had some of the issues during the month of March. Um, also this year, besides the license plate readers, the DUI checks, which by the way, we haven't always done consistently. Um, we're also implementing uh, increased parking fees. For example, the two major weekends, we're increasing fees to $100 in our municipal parking garages in South Beach for non-residents. Also, we're restricting on-street parking. We're we're doubling our towing fees. We're restricting access to the beach after 6 p.m. We're restricting access to our garages at 6 p.m. So we are taking a significant amount of preemptive measures uh, to make sure we control the crowds and, and, and make sure there's no violence. So let, let's get into a couple of those in detail because how, how do you take preemptive measures if nothing has happened yet? Is that Are there constitutional questions there somehow? Well, certainly we explore all those and our, and our legal attorneys have given us uh, uh, good legal advice. And by the way, what I've noticed has happened, and I was commissioner for four years before mayor, and you've seen the evolution. Because these problems happen every year, we've seen uh, the buy-in, not only from our commission as a whole, which by the way, in the past, we've seen some division. We passed these measures that I proposed unanimously. Our businesses, I'm not hearing anybody question these measures. And by the way, even the courts, we've won the last couple of uh, judicial decisions in past years because there's a recognition that this is not a one-off. Miami Beach isn't just saying, oh my God, we have a problem. Yes, we have a problem and we're gonna fix it and we have full buy-in. So I guess I have and we have here been hearing a bit of blowback from businesses because among the components is closing down the, the sidewalk cafes and closing liquor stores. And there really is, I think in their view, a hit to businesses. One particular business owner actually has something on the agenda for one of the committees this week about a great big music festival um, paid, huge A-listers that would bring something to the beach during the spring break weekends that would be sort of I guess the idea was to displace and bring in something great. W what do you think about that? What do you think about that? 
Yeah, well, that's for next year, 2025. So we're we're looking at it and, and exploring it, and that comes with some positives. And and by the way, there are a lot of businesses and residents who are not in favor of that. So we'll we'll explore that. But we're getting ahead of ourselves because that's 2025. I'm focused on 2024 right now and making sure everything goes well. I think. Ah, the but one there's is, planning to do. <laughs> oh, that there let, is. And let by me. The way, um, one of the, I, I want to. I know you can't see. You can't see us, right? We can see you because of the Zoom transfer here, but I wanna put up on our air, and I will describe it to you, a couple of flyers that were really easy to find online, and these are private promoters promoting Miami Beach Spring Break 2024 with the dates, the 4th, March 4th to the 17th. Uh, music, come on down. They're, they've got all kinds of lists of music events that are gonna be here. These are all private organizers that the city doesn't really control. And it's, it's sort of my recollection that decades ago, it was the music promoters who brought down scores of people that the city just wasn't prepared for that kind of started what was this whole push and pull. How do you, how do you handle things outside the city purview? Well, our police department is monitoring those social media sites. And by the way, some of the, I, I can't see what example specifically you're referring to, but I know a number of these that our police department has identified, some of them are illegally being prepared and they've shut them down already. So what, do you, what do you mean it, illegal? It, so a promoter in a club has legal issues? Some of them do, yes. And some are perfectly legal though. I mean, music events, paid? Sure, I mean, promoted. obviously yeah. we, we make a case by case determination uh, on each of those, since I don't know which ones you're referring to, but, um, but yes, we make that case by case determination. And by the way, there's gonna be a lot going on in our city. We're not shutting down our city and we're gonna have a lot of people here and there's a lot of tourism and we're gonna be we're gonna we're gonna have a robust march. Our hotel rates are 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 extremely high. So yes, of course we're gonna have things going on. But our goal and our mission and really our mandate is to make sure everyone is safe. Yeah, of course. And I, I want you to know for the record that it is my job to challenge the narrative and there is a lot here that is really interesting for people to get into because it's, some of it has become quite controversial. Um, the, the crime that has happened in particular last year, uh, murder happened last year. I mean, it just beyond the pale last year that had everybody looking for ways to just fix it. Um, but my question to you is that the crime that happens here is not spring break type of travel crime. Most, according to some police sources, are people who are local who are coming to sort of start the trouble. Um, and I wonder if the kind of market forces like the increased parking and towing rates, is, is that the kind of thing you're using to dissuade local troublemakers? Well, yes, I mean, you're absolutely right. And, and that's exactly the point. Well, first of all, the crowds get unmanageable. It gets to a point where it's literally not safe for people when the crowds are as large as they've been. So some of this is to try to maintain and control the crowds. As, as many police officers as we have out there, when the crowds get unmanageable, it just becomes unsafe for everyone. I mean, you could have situations, and we've seen a little bit of this, where you almost have like stampede type uh, issues. So yes, restricting access to non-residents parking and the things I just described earlier in, in, in our discussion, yes, it is trying to limit the, the, uh, the, the issues that we're seeing. What do you say to the critics who feel like it's just over-policing, making a police state, and you know the elephant in the room is quasi-racial overtones? How do you handle that criticism? Well, I listen to everybody. I, it's, it's important to hear every, every voice, every point of view. 
but uh, I, you know, I don't, I don't see it that way at all. I actually look at it as we have a, we have a, a mandate. I actually believe it's a moral obligation for us to protect people. We had two black males who were shot and killed in our street on Ocean Drive last year. By the way, the issues that we see are, are confined to a few streets on a few handful of weekends. So we're a safe city. Uh, obviously, we're always looking to strive to become even safer. That's my goal. But we're talking about a very limited area and a very few limited weekends. But yet, there were people killed on our street. It is my obligation to protect those people. It pained me. I, I cannot tell you the hurt I felt when, I, when, when those incidents happened, because I feel in some ways that I didn't, maybe there was something more I could have done as a commissioner at the time. Well, now I'm mayor, and I'm looking to take every step to make sure people are safe. I actually was looking into, and unfortunately, I only had a few months since I became mayor, but I was actively exploring having perimeters where you'd have to go through some kind of uh, metal detector to make sure the guns were off our street. Um, that, is, that is not gonna happen, although we're gonna have some security checkpoints by the beaches. But we have to do everything we can to keep people safe. And uh, if, if people criticize that, well, I'm sorry. And I've actually said, if you think we're doing too much, we're probably doing it just right. Mayor Stephen Miner, it is great to have you on the program. Thank you so much for your time today. Thanks, Glenna. Appreciate it. Parents' rights and permission slips. Now, South Florida schools are scrambling to meet state law if they could just figure out how. Two school board members right here to take that dive next. It started with a permission slip and a parent who questioned why her child's school needed her permission for a Black History Month event. New state education law was politically controversial from the start, and now rules meant to make sure parents are informed about educational opportunities have taken that controversy to new levels. The topic has been on the front burner since Local 10's Hatzel Vela first reported the issue two weeks ago. Today, two Miami-Dade school board members are right here to get to the facts, weed through the perceptions, and maybe get some clarity on this. Dr. Steve Gallen has been on the board since 2016. He is a career educator and administrator. Robert Alonzo is in his second year on the board, a business background and a focus on educational technology. Welcome to you both. Great to have you at the table. Good morning. And I know you've both been very vocal and very into this, what has become kind of a controversy. Robert Alonzo, let me um, just give you sort of the first opportunity. The, the parents' concerns with this was about one permission slip for one event initially, and it was a Black History Month event. And that carries with it all kinds of eyebrow-raising issues. But the permission slips are for everything. How, why do we have these permission slips now? So I think um, what, what happened was there was a little bit of a misunderstanding. Um, permission slips are something that was passed, uh, part of the parental rights, in that we want parents to be aware of anything that is outside of regular programming within the school. At the state level, Correct. not at the district level. And at the, at the district level as well, if you read into our policy, it's, it's pretty direct in when it states that this is for extracurricular activities. Um, and I think what occurred here was that there was a, a misinterpretation possibly um, and, and also within our form and the way it was created that might have not had the guidance that the teachers needed at the school. And as you saw, the district is now working on making sure that that guidance is provided to our school principals as well as our teachers. Um, because we teach black history year round. Um, this is something that is taught within our classrooms and it's important for the public to know that. Um, Steve Allen, the, the permission slip for this particular thing sort of put it out in the venue, in the public venue. 
but there were other people who came forward with other permission slips questioning why now have you heard from any parents that are really behind having every permission slip for everything and and how are we sure i guess it's like a multi-part question how are we sure those things are going to get signed properly and those kids are going to get to do what they need to do uh absolutely not i've not heard from one parent that is in support of a permission slip outside of what robert described field trips, activities that are outside of the curriculum. But I think the issue here was that the discussion around black history and related events uh, covered a gamut of activities, including instructional programming. I, at the onset of this particular issue, did not believe that the permission uh, was consistent with the intent of the law. Uh, when you're talking about instruction, when you're talking about activities that extend learning, uh, no parent should have to ask for permission to participate or have their child to have access to that. And, so and it's not, heard... it's for extracurricular. Yes. Right. Okay. So um, let me just stipulate, and I meant to do this from the outset, we are very carefully not breaking any Florida Sunshine Laws by having you here. We're not talking about anything you're going to be voting on. We're not talking any business. There's no meetings. So, so every lawyer that's watching, we're good. Um, so let's look at the law. So here is the actual law about school-sponsored events, and it says that provide for parental notification. That you know, that's pretty black and white. And it says the district procedures must require signed parent or guardian permission forms for the event or activity that include a minimum of the following: the nature, the dates, the location, and the supervision. I mean, that that is pretty straightforward. Permission slips for things that are outside the curriculum. That's correct, and, and that's where I think the confusion came in at the actual school level, um, where the district is making sure that the schools are aware of that, because if it's age appropriate and is within our curriculum, it is something that our teachers can freely teach without needing to send out a permission slip to any of the parents. Okay, so now here, here's the question, because I was one of those parents. I worked, I worked at night, I came home, book bags, I missed my kids' permission slips, I never signed them, I was late. You know, the, the school was always very gracious about it. But in, in a form, in a state law, what happens if you've got well-meaning parents who are just too harried to maybe get it right, as an example? Um, you know, those, those kids are really going to be suffering in a way. Yeah, and you mentioned that you were one of those parents. I was. Glenna, I am one of those parents. <laughs> I actually had, I actually had, Guilty. All right, I feel good. I, I actually had to sign a permission slip for my daughter who attends a public school. And again, that permission slip was consistent with issues relative to black history and the uh, activities that go along with it. I, I think the issue that Robert alluded to is, is an issue of interpretation. I think we have several iterations that we have to consider when we look at these laws. The iteration that's passed at the legislature, the iteration that's adopted by the state board, the iteration that's adopted through board policy, but most importantly, the iteration that leads to actual implementation. Yeah. And I think that's where the gap was in the Miami-Dade County Public Schools, the implementation phase in terms of how it, it's interpreted at the school site level and ultimately by teachers. All right, and, well, I have that here. You know I come yeah, prepared. Yeah, and we're talking about parents, and, and absolutely we support parental rights but I think this has an impact not only on parents but on teachers so when you talk about a parent in a house that has to be considerate of one child or two child you have teachers that have to consider the implications of this particular practice on two three hundred students relative to activities that extend learning and I think that's where the main issue at least for me has been and, and it's a lot it's a lot of work it's a lot of work to implement that so so this week some of the state de, uh, Department of Education, uh, actually Commissioner Manny Diaz, got up and really kind of 
clapped back and said, this is, you, you know, this is just an absurd interpretation. And where, where is this lost in translation? Is it because it's become a political football? Because if you look at it from a nonpartisan, and the school board is nonpartisan, just for stipulation. If you look at it from a nonpartisan, apolitical lens, there is no politics in permission here. So what, what is the politics of this? Well, I think we live in an environment right now where everything is becoming political, and it's unfortunate, because um, right here you have two board members that, that sit and represent different communities, but yet at the end of the day, we come together and what's best for our students. You're, you're kind of in agreement on this, it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Yep, absolutely. And, and you know, I think uh, something may have been blown out of proportion when it shouldn't have been, um, but it did bring some concerns to light that were already there, and what, we were already what? working through it through the district. What, what part was blown out of proportion to you? Well, I, I think the fact of, you know, the teacher, uh, and as Dr. Allen had said, these teachers are responsible for a lot of different activities throughout the day. They're now receiving these new laws, new, new things to be implemented within their classroom, and now they have a fear of, am I going to find trouble by doing something incorrectly? So this teacher was just sending out a permission slip trying to just cover themselves in many ways, right? Because we live in that environment, and I think then it was blown out of proportion because the objective there was not that we were limiting the teaching of black history. Um, because once again, we teach that year round. The month of February is actually a month of celebration, but this is taught year round. Um, and this teacher was just concerned that if he or she was gonna be presenting something, was it or was it not within the guidelines? So I guess their, their that point at that point was to send out a permission slip to just be sure. And I'll tell you, there are parents that wanna know what's going on in their classroom and we support that. Um, but there are certain things that have already been approved both at the state legislature at the Board of Education, and, and those are things that are the laws that we follow every day within the classroom. And probably because they're, because of the laws and, and over the past year, the real um, controversy over the black history curriculum and a lot of blowback, I mean, th that's probably the sort of underpinning of what is happening. Yeah, I, I think, and I, I said this in committee, uh, this is not simply about black history. Yes. Uh, black history served as the catalyst for a discussion around the ambiguity around what these laws intended. Yeah. And I think what we have seen is that that ambiguity has been either been exploited or responded to in an excessive way. And I think it's not an either or, it's a both and. I think that ambiguity has people, have teachers concerned. I spoke to a teacher, let me just say this, I spoke to a teacher yesterday, I promise I won't call her name. I was in Market 119 uh, buying fish and she's a teacher at Crop. She has 300 students, and she asked me, what are you all doing with the Form 2424? That's she said, the permission slip. Absolutely. She says, this has been onerous on me. I, I have lesson plans to do. I have uh, speakers that come in, and they deal with financial literacy, college readiness. This has been a burden, and I had to Yet give her another thing. And Thank she you, said, sir. May I have another? And she said, Glenna, she said, I was told we have to comply because I don't want to lose my job. This is what a teacher said. So this has a real impact on people's perceptions about their professionalism and about their futures. And I think we have an obligation to clarify that ambiguity along at the district level and with the state, and I'm glad we're moving in that direction. Okay, I, I wanna take a quick break, but to your point, the ambiguity, somebody in the state tried to get clarity and did not, and we'll go into that when we come back, stay tuned. Permission slips and the controversy, the topic with Steve Gallen, Robert Alonzo, Miami-Dade school board members who are trying to figure out this 
a pre, I guess, state law and how to implement to make sure parents sign off on what their kids are doing. To your point, Dr. Gallen, not curriculum, but extracurriculum. And so we're not talking just about a speaker for black history. We're talking about college recruiting, you mentioned. We're talking about the dare dog, anti-drug dogs, I saw you mention. We're talking <laughs> about all kinds of things. And, and do, do parents understand that? Uh, they're starting to right now, but I think the conduit to the parents are the teachers. We need to make sure that there's clarity with the teachers. And where the language is read, very plainly, it talks about notification. Yes, it talks about permission. It doesn't mention permission slips. It talks about notification for events or activities. But where our teachers and our parents are having uh, some heartburn and consternation around is the instructional program. And we know instruction is not restricted to what happens in the four corners of a classroom. It's not restricted to what happens in a book. So when you have, I mentioned in committee, what about a Holocaust survivor that comes in and wants to extend that learning? The teacher is utilizing the adopted curriculum, has indicated in the lesson plans, those students may not experience the fullness of that learning activity, and that's instruction. I don't describe that as an activity outside of the classroom. So, so would that mean need a permission slip? Based on the interpretation, yes. Who, the interpretation of the district? The district at this particular point, and we're seeking that clarity. And that's where I resonated, raised the issue that this is not about black history. And I raised the issue of the Holocaust survivor in committee. And when I got that answer, I was stumped. Yeah. Well, interestingly enough, um, this October 4th letter from last year, this is to Andrew Weatherill at the Florida Department of, I, I'm not sure, I don't want to spring this on you, and it's nothing that, you know, um, that is not clear when I tell you that this is a letter from the general counsel from the Florida Association of District School Superintendents, a lawyer for statewide superintendents, asking in three pages, big font, for clarification. Do we need permission slips for high school drama performances, for school dances, for drug um, field days, award ceremonies, on and on and on, school pictures? There has not been an answer to this October query. Well, I'll, I'll let the silence lie there for a second. There has not been an answer for begging clarification of how do we implement this parental rights permission form. Well, I, I can share with you our superintendent and our administration has been in direct communication with the Department of Education. We have not had any problems in reaching the commissioner or any of his staff or attorneys. Okay, um, that's good news. So, so we are in direct communication and as I share with you, this is something we've been discussing for multiple weeks now um, because we've been seeking clarity on college recruitment as well as military recruitment that occurs in our schools. And the, the law is, is, is pretty clear. Um, and have Dr. you gotten clarity? You've gotten answers. Yes on this, no on, is there no on anything, or yes, everything needs a permission slip? Well, the, the no is if it's not age appropriate, or if it's not part of the curriculum, you need a permission oh, slip. Okay. Um, and I think that's one of the biggest things that we have to really focus on. What the, what the core goal of this law was, the goal, the goal of law was that if it's not part of the curriculum and it's not age appropriate, and the school's gonna be holding a function on it, the parents must know that it's going on. But if it's part of the curriculum and it's age appropriate, our teachers have the freedom to teach it in the classroom. Um, and we've discussed that all throughout, and whether it be 
the Holocaust, um, victims of communism, which is a new topic that we're discussing a lot in our classrooms, or black history. Um, it is something that we want our kids to all be educated on, especially in such a diverse community. I think uh, I remember when the law was going through committee and going through the bill process and being passed, we, and actually on this, uh, at this table, we talked about it's pretty clear, but there also are vagaries that would have a potential of having a chilling effect. And I think you, you kind of see that playing out, whether that's real or perceived, it is what it is, obviously. Um, so then you get to, you get a permission slip. And, and here's kind of where I think the um, rubber meets the road. A parent who has the responsibility and the choice for his or her student, what if they just don't want their child to learn about that? I think that is part of the issue, but I think if it's something that's required in state statute uh, for us to have students to be taught, I think that's a conversation that the school site principal, the teacher has to have with the parent. But again, if it's required, if it's required, there are certain things that are required. That's yes. non-negotiable. Mm -hmm. Black history instruction throughout the year, that's in state statute. And I want to say, despite the narrative and the rancor around that, Glenna, I never was moved because I always knew that African-American history instruction was required in the state of Florida. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we so talked about that a that, lot. That's required. So unless some parent has some uh, objection, which I'm not aware of, it is a requirement in the state of Florida. It is a requirement uh, for Miami-Dade County Public Schools, and it is a requirement in the classrooms in our schools throughout the county. So where, where do we go from here? I mean, I feel like we really have come to an understanding and, and hopefully made it very clear to people um, where do we go from here? Where, what is the district doing now? Yep. So the district um, this past week, as we saw in se several media outlets, um, pulled the form. They're revising it. They're working with our legal counsel as well as with the state's legal counsel to make sure that the form is adequate. And then they're going to roll out the educational piece for our teachers and for our administrators so that they know how to properly use this. Um, but, you know, at the end of the day, going back to your other point, um, one of the best things about the state of Florida is that parents have choices. Um, and once you're in the public school system, there is a set curriculum that is set by the state. If they're not in favor of what the state has already set as the required curriculum, they can take their child to another school. Not that we're saying that we want them to do that because we are their best choice as Miami-Dade County Public Schools, but that's why this state is so great in many ways and that parents have a choice to decide where their child's gonna go. If they're in the public school system, we're going to be following state law when it comes to the curriculum that's being taught to them. And, and just there is firsthand uh, a link to the Department of Education, and it is all laid out right there. Anyone can go on and see that. Robert Alonzo, Steve Gallen, school board members, great to have you in. I love thank company you. at the table and uh, appreciate your time. And thank you for the clarity. And thank you for yeah. having us. Of course. Thank you. And we will be right back. Watch today's interviews or listen to the This Week in South Florida podcast. All you have to do is scan that QR code with your phone and it takes you right to the This Week in South Florida section of local10.com. We would really love to hear from you about anything in the news, our coverage today, anything on your mind, and you can connect with us so easily via email or social media at Glenna WPLG on Facebook, Twitter, X, Instagram, any of those. Thank you so much for spending this hour with us. And remember, keep in touch.